A warm welcome to First Move. I'm Rahel Solomon in today for Julia Chatterley. Great to have you with us. Among our top stories this hour, the weather outside is frightful. The U.S. getting pummeled by a fierce and dangerous pre-Christmas storm. It has left hundreds of thousands without power and thousands of flights canceled on a crucial travel day. We'll have a live report. Plus, Sam Bankman-Fried freed the former head of collapsed crypto trading firm FTX out on $250 million bail. Will he plead guilty or not guilty at his court appearance next month? Details just ahead. And Tesla turmoil, Elon Musk vowing to stop selling Tesla stock for at least a year, and that's sending shares higher pre-market after a 9% fall on Thursday. And in just released U.S. economic news, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, that would be the core personal consumption index, rising two-tenths of a percent month over month and 4.7 percent year over year, pretty much in line with expectations. Now, one key number here, though, is overall PCE inflation, which came in lower than Fed projections year over year. Let's take a look at market reaction. Uh, Pretty much muted, but still green arrows across the board between the Dow, the Nasdaq and the S&P. U.S. futures losing earlier gains and pretty much trading flat. Now, all of this, though, coming after a one and a half percent drop in the S&P on Thursday. Now, stocks fell on Thursday in that previous session after new data showed continued resiliency and the U.S. economy, even as interest rates hit 15 year highs. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, great to have you. So, look, this is yet another yet another inflation report that shows moderating inflation. I mean, what are some of the other things we're learning from this report? What stood out to you? Yeah, the inflation pe- peaked line of the ledger is is getting another piece of evidence here. What struck me, you mentioned that core rate of 4.7% annual PCE price index. That number is the slowest since October 2021. So remember, late last fall, we really saw inflation start to uh, just sort of boil, right, up to 40-year highs. And it was a real problem for much of this year. Then since the summer, you've started to see one after another these little hints that the worst of inflation might be behind us. So this this number goes squarely into to, into that body of of evidence. Um, looking into this, you know, you can see that gasoline prices are down. Um, gas prices in the U.S. are down 50 cents in a month. I think that's one of the reasons why this consumer sentiment number we saw earlier this week showed that um, inflation expectations among consumers is starting to improve as well because at the pump they're feeling. Uh, a little bit of relief from gas prices that reached record highs um, this summer. Food costs inside of this PCE price index still up a little bit, but again, moderating. So I think the word of the day is moderating. Prices are moderating for consumers, hell. Certainly a step in the right direction. And Christine, look, you and I talk about this a lot. On the one hand, we've all been watching inflation. On the other hand, we've been watching very closely consumer spending. What more can you tell us about consumer spending? I mean, are they still holding on and proving to be resilient, uh, as you and I say, quite often this year? I mean, what are you seeing? I'm seeing a savings rate, a personal savings rate that's starting to go down a little bit as people are digging into their big savings that they amassed during COVID, right? When they weren't spending money like they normally did, when they were saving a lot of money because the economy was locked down, they're starting to dig into that savings to spend. But the consumer has been pretty resilient and, and surprisingly resilient uh, by, by some measures. For months, the consumer has been saying they feel lousy about the economy. But when you look at spending numbers, you can see that they are still spending. They're 
they're spending on different things, though. I look in here, uh, you know, goods down, uh, services up, you know, and I think that is this shift we're seeing in the economy overall. Um, people aren't buying couches and TVs. We've seen this again and again and again. Those are being marked down. And by the way, will be marked down in the United States over the next couple of weeks that this holiday shopping season starts to wind to a close because people are spending money on uh, air tickets and travel and plane tickets and experiences like that. So I think you're going to still see that shift between the goods and the services sides of the economy heading into the new part of the year. And I think nowhere is that perhaps more clear than at U.S. airports, which, you know, have been very busy for quite some time now. Christine Romans, great to have you. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you. All right, now to the latest on the war in Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin, who until now insisted on calling the invasion a special military operation, has now, for the first time, referred to it publicly as a war. Our goal is not to spin the flywheel of military conflict, but on the contrary, to end this war. We have been and will continue to strive for this. Well, Ripley is in Kiev now with more. Here in Kyiv, they're certainly listening very carefully to those words out of the Kremlin, including Russian President Vladimir Putin for the first time calling what he did call a special military operation a war. Now, the question is, was that a slip of the tongue or did he do it deliberately? And that's very important to figure out what the reality is, because if it was an accident, if Putin essentially broke his own ban on uttering the word war for the last 10 months, and if he actually does believe that what he is doing to Ukraine is now a war, that would potentially allow him to declare martial law and pour even more resources into his military, which has certainly been struggling on the front lines. Putin had a military modernization meeting saying that the mobilization process needs to be upgraded, saying that the military needs to get every single resource it needs. He even sent his defense minister, supposedly, to the front lines in a Russian propaganda video that was released this week, that uh, defense minister telling everybody to keep calm and everything was going to be fine, he said. But of course, Russian troops, uh, according to intercepted telephone calls, don't necessarily think uh, that things are fine. The Ukrainian military occasionally releases these things. Uh, and even though we can't verify their authenticity, they seem to indicate a sense of frustration among a lot of Russian troops on the ground uh, fighting against the Ukrainians who have been able to hold the lines despite relentless bombardment in places like Bakhmut. Of course, there's also been a Russian assault on the liberated southern city of Kherson. Uh, you know, in a lot of these frontline cities, people barely have the basics to survive. They barely have electricity or running water. Sometimes the only way they can get Wi-Fi or heat or even a hot cup of coffee is to go to an underground bomb shelter. Here in the capital, Kiev, the situation is slightly better, but people are still struggling right now. The water service here has been disrupted, and a lot of people say they have power for maybe an hour a day in the capital city. That's why Ukraine says they're so grateful for these Patriot missile defense systems from the United States. But of course, there's a lot of training, months of training that has to happen between now and the time that those systems are actually deployed, which means it could be a very long and difficult winter ahead here in Ukraine. Will Ripley, CNN, Kiev. All right, thanks to Will Ripley there. An update now on some developing news out of Paris. Three people have died. Four more are injured after a gunman opened fire in the French capital. That's according to local authorities. France's interior minister says the suspected shooter has been arrested. We will keep you updated as we get more information. And to China now, where hundreds of health workers from across the country are making their way to the capital, Beijing. They're trying to help tackle an unprecedented wave of COVID infections. China's sudden ending of its zero-COVID strategy has left hospitals struggling to cope, even as Beijing dismisses U.S. concerns about the need for greater transparency over COVID. 
Now, despite what the official numbers may say, CNN is seeing disturbing evidence of a surge in deaths linked to COVID-19. Selena Wang is in Beijing and visit a crematorium that is dealing with a sharp rise in deaths. As crematoriums in China fill up, the country shifts the way it counts COVID deaths. Its method of counting deaths goes against the World Health Organization's guidelines, and experts say it will severely undercount the COVID death toll. By China's count, less than 10 people have died of COVID this month. It is a shockingly low number, especially considering how fast COVID is spreading in China and the relatively low vaccination rate of the elderly. But what we've witnessed on the ground in China at crematoriums and hospitals, it points to a very different situation. The burning can't go fast enough. The smoke behind me, it's been billowing constantly from all the bodies that are burning. And these crates over here, they're all full of yellow body bags. Workers later opened those metal containers here at a major Beijing crematorium, revealing rows of body bags as they load more coffins in the freezing cold temperatures. Crematoriums in major cities are swamped as COVID sweeps through the country, but China has only reported a small handful of COVID deaths since reopening late last month. I spoke to a man earlier who said that his close friend passed away from a fever. Normally, the hospital would hold the body, but the hospital told him that there were too many dead bodies. He said he's been waiting here for hours and he still has no idea if his friend's body can even get cremated today. There is a long line of cars that snakes around this whole area waiting to get into that cremation area. I'm in the parking lot right now and it's completely full of cars. I'm speaking here because there are many, many security guards patrolling this entire area. Grieving family members clutch photos of the deceased. Some tell us off camera they know their loved ones died from COVID and have waited for more than a day for cremation. Busy shops nearby sell funerary items with paper money, clothes, houses, and animals used in burial traditions strewn on the side of the road. A woman who sells flowers says she's running out of stock. A man selling urns says business has jumped. Even the convenience store and the crematorium grounds is getting busier. Normally you aren't so busy, right? I ask. The man nods and tells me that normally there's nobody here. And it's not just in Beijing. Social media video shows crowded crematoriums and funeral homes around the country. At this funeral home in Jinan, the man is saying it's going insane. Here it is packed with cars. Vans carrying bodies stretch all the way into the distance in front of this crematorium in Sijiazhuang. This is a COVID-designated hospital in Beijing. There's been a steady stream of elderly patients in wheelchairs being led into this hospital. I spoke to a man who's been waiting outside for his elderly family member, who he said is very sick with a high fever from COVID. But he said this hospital is running out of bed space. I asked the worker outside of this hospital, did a lot of people die here? Yes, every day, he responds. I ask, is it all because of COVID? Yes, people with underlying conditions, he says. China is now going through the painful reopening the rest of the world has already gone through. But it's not sharing the same data. The government now says it's narrowing the definition of COVID-19 deaths only to patients who died of respiratory failure directly caused by the virus. People we spoke to at the crematoriums may have said their loved ones died of COVID, but their deaths and so many others 
won't be counted in the official tally. One of the people I spoke to at the crematorium told me that the hospital where his friend passed away was too full to keep the body because so many people had died there. He told me his friend's body was left on the hospital floor. The vaccination rate in China is still lagging for people over 60, and only around 42% of those over 80 have received a booster shot. And experts say that getting that third dose is necessary to get enough protection since China is using less effective vaccines compared to mRNA ones used overseas. Hospitals, they are overwhelmed. Fever and cold medicine is running out. Health experts say China has not adequately prepared for this reopening, despite having years to do so while it was enforcing zero COVID. Selena Wang, CNN, Beijing. South Korea, meantime, is calling it a serious provocation. It says North Korea launched two short-range ballistic missiles on Friday. They landed in the waters between the Korean Peninsula and Japan. This marks the 36th day this year that North Korea has launched at least one missile, U.S. and South Korean experts are warning Pyongyang could be preparing for its first nuclear test in more than five years. Well, from the Bahamas to house arrest, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is out on a $250 million bond after his New York court appearance. The former CEO is now required to wear an electronic monitoring bracelet and will be under house arrest at his parents' home in California. CNN's Kara Scannell joins me now. Kara, great to have you again. It was just 24 hours ago that you said bail was a possibility and he got it. But look, this is causing quite a bit of outrage because SBF said that he was basically broke. So what do we know about the funds used to secure this? Well, right now, there's not a lot of detail about the funds that are being put up here, other than his parents are one of the co-signers of this bond, and they have to put their house up as a a matter of security to secure this bond. In addition, he has some time to get um, two other co-signers, and one of those has to be someone who is not a family member. So they've given him a couple of weeks to get this in order. And, you know, one of the the main issues um, that the judge evaluated when he was looking at this package is he said under the Bail Reform Act in the U.S., there is an inclination to let someone who is not violent, who's not a flight risk, who's not, you know, a a challenge to safety in the community, the preference is to let them out on bail. So he he's laid that out in court saying that that was one of the reasons why he was leaning toward this. He went through all of these conditions, wanting him to um, be under house arrest, to have electronic monitoring uh, as, as factors that he considered um, to be important. And one of the, the things that even the prosecutor said here was because Bankford Freed had voluntarily come back from the Bahamas to the U.S., uh, they wanted to give him some credit for that because this could have been a long, drawn-out extradition fight. These contests can sometimes take months or even years. So that was a benefit that the prosecutors saw in at least his willingness to come back to the U.S. to face these charges. They believe that he wouldn't be fleeing and that he had many ties to the community. Um, interestingly, you know, one of these other conditions was the judge saying, you know, he can't engage in any other business. He can't um, take spend any money over $1,000 unless the government approves it, ex- unless it's to pay for his attorneys. And the judge said he didn't think that would be a problem because Bankman Freed right now had there was sufficient notoriety around him that no one would want to be engaging in any new business deals with him. Fair enough. Safe to say he is a household name at this point. But Kara, to your point, this case has moved very quickly, even in terms of his extradition. So what happens next in this case? 
Well, for Bankman-Fried, he'll have to return to court. He's due to come back um, January 3rd. Uh, he could be arraigned then on these charges, those eight federal counts of wire fraud and conspiracy. And at that hearing, he would enter a plea in this case. Now, his legal team is still indicating that he is going to, you know, defend himself here. You know, he is, though, facing a lot of pressure because those two top executives, Gary Wang, who is the co-founder of FTX, and Caroline Ellison, who was the co-CEO of Alameda Research, the hedge fund that was connected to the trading platform. Uh, they have both cooperated with authorities. And we learned a little bit more about this investigation yesterday at the bail hearing. Uh, one of the prosecutors said that they have, you know, cooperating witnesses. He said they have witness testimony from dozens of former FTX and Alameda Research employees and also encrypted messages. So, you know, we're going to to see perhaps more of where the prosecutors have in this case, if there are possibly others who are cooperating and if these other actions come out from under seal. But as, as a matter of course, the next move for Sam Bankman-Fried is that he will be appearing back in court in New York in January. Uh, and then, um, this, then this court case will play out as it moves forward to trial. Rahel? A lot more to come here. Kara Scannell, great to have you. Happy holidays. You too. Well, new travel chaos here in the U.S. with thousands more flights canceled today as the nation is practically plunged into the freezer. Record low temperatures were recorded Thursday in the U.S. South and West. Polo Sandoval is in Buffalo, New York, where severe cold is closing in. Polo, great to see you. I wish it was under better circumstances. Help our help our international viewers understand a bit more about Buffalo. It is certainly not new to snow. Help me understand what the conditions are like right now. Yeah, Rahel, if our viewers around the world Google image winter in Buffalo, you'll probably see a picture like this. And what's interesting is we were standing out here three hours ago, a very light layer, no wind at all, barely any rain. But just like that, conditions really became began to deteriorate. And this is really just the first act of what is going to be a multi-hour, potentially to 30-hour storm that's just going to be battering uh, the region here in western New York. Uh, the intersection here, if you were, I certainly am not brave enough, but if you were to walk about a block down this street, you will be at the Lake Erie Lakefront. I, I mention that because that's really the bulk of the concerns for officials here are those lakefront communities because as this massive winter storm makes its way east over that lake, it will, according to local forecasters here, basically push a lot of that water into some of these communities. And that is why there's at least one community uh, just south of here where they did uh, have a mandatory evacuation in place because they expect some parts of that lakefront that have never seen floodwaters before to actually potentially see that with this particular storm. But when you look at this uh, right now and what it's like, uh, Rahel, it really gives you an idea. And it makes sense as to why Christmas travel for millions of people is either on hold or just canceled altogether because officials are recommending that folks stay indoors because of the blizzard uh, whiteout conditions. This isn't going to be a massive snow dumper, but the snow that it does dump, it's all over the place. It's going to make travel not only treacherous, It'll make it dangerous, but as Governor uh, Kathy Hochul in New York called it, life-threatening. Back to you. Mm. And you can see that wind really clearly there. All right, Polo, we'll let you get back inside. Thanks for being with us. Be safe. Thanks for help. Well, straight ahead, Santa's sleigh may be loading up with toys and goodies for Christmas, but the Port of New York and New Jersey, well, they've been pretty busy themselves. I speak to its executive director after the break. And later, travel chaos again, giving thousands the winter blues. The points guy, he may be able to help. Stay with us.
Welcome back to First Move. For 22 years, the title of America's busiest port belonged to the Port of Los Angeles. But a shuffling supply chain has made way for the Port of New York and New Jersey to claim the title. Imports into two major West Coast ports have been declining since August. And that cargo is now flowing into New York and New Jersey, handling 20 percent more cargo in November 2022 than it moved in November 2019. This rerouting of the U.S. supply chain is a bid to get goods to consumers faster and cheaper. And for now, the port says it has been able to handle the extra cargo. Joining me now is Rick Cotton. He is the executive director of the Port of Authority of New York and New Jersey. Rick, great to have you today. So before we get into the new title, congratulations, help our viewers understand all that the port oversees, because it is not just the ports and the cargo, but it's also some of the commercial airports. Uh, That's correct. Good to be with you. Uh, The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey uh, oversees the three major airports in the New York, New Jersey uh, region, JFK Airport, Newark International Airport, and LaGuardia. We oversee four bridges and two tunnels uh, across the Hudson River and connecting uh, New York and New Jersey. We oversee the seaport Uh, We have a commuter railroad, and then we also uh, oversee the 16-acre World Trade Center site in uh, lower Manhattan. Quite a bit of territory. So let's go back to the port. So, uh, again, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, now the busiest port in the nation. Is this just a reshuffling of the supply chain, companies diversifying their supply chain, or is there something else behind it? Well, there are a number of factors. Uh, The primary one is what you just suggested, which is, uh, diversifying the supply chain, uh, having uh, cargo shippers and uh, carriers able to assure and reduce, uh, assure consistency and reduce delays. The uh, West Coast ports have uh, suffered uh, from delays. Uh, there is a bit of labor uncertainty hanging over their head, and uh, shippers and ocean carriers responding to that. Uh, have begun to assure that they have multiple ports of entry. Uh, They've been able to count, certainly in terms of New York and New Jersey, on very consistent performance. Uh, Half of our uh, carriers that call on the Port of New York and New Jersey go directly into their uh, their berths. Uh, Those that uh, do go to Anchorage go for very short periods of time. So do you think that this reshuffling will be a permanent benefit to uh, the East Coast ports like New York and New Jersey, as I said? Or do you think, uh, as you pointed out, some of the West Coast ports are having labor issues? And so some of the cargo that would have gone there is now making its way to New York. I mean, do you think this will be a permanent reshuffling? Uh, We do think that uh, much of the change uh, will uh, will stick. Uh, The fact is that diversification is becoming a very high value from the point of view of cargo shippers and ocean carriers. They don't want to be in a situation where they're dependent uh, on a port which struggles and which uh, causes them delays. Certainty is a very, very high value in terms of cargo shippers. So we do expect much of the of the shift that has taken place to stick. Uh, we're, we're working hard, obviously, to assure shippers and to assure ocean carriers that they're going to continue to have rapid and uh, dependable access to birds. Uh, and we've been successful so far. The other advantage that the Port of New York and New Jersey has is that uh, over the last decade, huge investments have been made in our infrastructure so that not only 
is it attractive for shippers uh, in terms of accessing the region, but that the rail connections, both on the actual port property, but also in terms of arrangements with railroads going into the center of the country, have been vastly strengthened, and it provides confidence in terms of, uh, of schedules and dependability. Mm. So it provides confidence, as you say, there is that certainty, which both of which are obviously very important to doing business, but there's also cost. Help me understand if you might, uh, is it cheaper to send to the, the New York ports and New Jersey port? Or, I mean, help me understand the cost benefit of that. Well, uh, time is money. So the delays are uh, just uh, frighteningly expensive from the point of view of a shipper uh, or a uh, ocean carrier. Uh, simply to have goods to have a ship uh, sitting for uh, for extended periods of time in an anchorage waiting for uh, for a berth to be able to come in and either offload or uh, or load up. So the big uh, issue becomes efficiency and dependability, and there are real costs associated with both of those. I take your point. I want to get to the airports a bit because you say in November, airport passenger volume surpassed pre-pandemic 2019 levels. So is November a blip or do you think that we are now, can we now say that we are post-pandemic in terms of travel? Well, I think the travel uh, is uh, definitely hitting hitting highs. We've seen this building over the entire course of the year 2022. So earlier in the year, we had uh, how isolated ho- holiday weekends. There were days when we exceeded 2019 volumes, but November was really the first time that an entire month was above 2019. Uh, and we're seeing that that trend continue. The fact is there's huge pent up travel demand. We think that our November numbers, which um, as you say, exceeded 2019, uh, that trend line is highly likely to continue. And, and Rick, before I let you go, of course, this is such a huge travel day. You know, here in the New York City area, we haven't gotten hit quite hard, at least not yet. I haven't looked outside in the last 30 minutes or so. But for people who are traveling in or out of New York and the midst of this winter weather that we're experiencing, what should they be expecting? Well, first of all, everyone should check with their carriers in terms of their individual flights. We, we are seeing uh, hundreds of cancellations, but largely due to destinations outside of New York. So the fact is that airports in the middle of the country have been closed due to the extreme storm conditions. Uh, our, our own weather here uh, has been uh, gusty winds have caused, uh, have caused challenges, but the big, uh, the big issues in terms of the, of the travel this weekend is in the areas of the country which are being hit very, very hard by the storm. Hmm. Rick Cotton, great to have you. Thank you. He is the executive director of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Now the busiest port in the nation. And still ahead, we've got holiday gift wrapping and Santa sled tracking. But holiday cheer on Wall Street? Well, that's still lacking. Can markets turn it around in 2023? We will discuss with Wall Street veteran Sam Stovall coming up next. Welcome back to First Move. No rest for U.S. investors on the final trading day before Christmas. U.S. stocks have opened mostly lower after Thursday's more than 2% drop in the Nasdaq. Stocks losing their pre-market gains. That's despite an encouraging new look at the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. 
Investors perhaps focusing a bit more on new durable goods numbers, which fell more than 2% last month. That was much worse than expected. Tesla also in the spotlight once again this session. Shares trading lower. Wow, lower by 9%. That's after Elon Musk promised to stop selling the stock for at least a year. Look, it has been a rough go for Tesla. Musk, of course, has sold billions of dollars worth of Tesla shares to help right the ship at Twitter, a move that's contributed to, look at this, a more than 60% plunge in Tesla's share price so far this year. Lots to talk about. A lot more than just Tesla. Sam Stovall is here with a look at the broader market action and what to expect in the new year. He is the chief investment strategist at CFRA Research. Sam, great to have you with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. So let's start with this PCE report, because at least from my my initial glance, I mean, it looks like it came in softer than expected. It looks like yet another inflation report that shows moderating inflation. And yet investors don't seem to like it. Well, that's right. The uh, PCE or personal consumption expenditure, uh, another measure of inflation that the Fed tends to favor, uh, does show, like the consumer price index, the producer price index, that the inflation trend is heading in the right direction. Uh, But it does seem as if it'll be a while until that PCE does get down to the 2% level that the Fed would like. Uh, And the durable goods orders that came in much weaker than expected also later this morning, we're going to get the uh, new home sales, which are likely to slip as well. So I think investors are now worried uh, about how deep the recession will eventually be. And we know the housing industry for sure has taken quite a a nosedive this year as the Fed has been raising rates. Sam, let me ask, yesterday when we got the final revision for Q3 and it was revised up, we saw stronger consumer spending, which again is some more encouraging news. And yet investors didn't like that. And so I have to wonder, are you in the camp that encouraging news means a more aggressive Fed and, you know, you're a bit concerned about that? Or are you in the camp that good news is good news? No, I think right now good news is bad news because the Fed has told us that they plan on raising rates longer and higher than most on Wall Street are anticipating. And so the worry is that the Fed, in its quest to uh, be Paul Volcker all over again and to strangle inflation, could end up strangling the economy as well. So I think investors are worried that we do end up hiking rates beyond the first quarter, as most people are anticipating. Uh, our belief is that the Fed will stop at the end of the first quarter. And we're heartened by history in that the Fed has typically started to cut interest rates less than nine months later. And so that would point to a December cut in interest rates. I see. And they've already done so much this year, 425 basis points, I believe. So we'll have to wait to see when exactly they do start to pull back. So, Sam, what, what are your forecasts for 2023 beyond just the Fed starting to pull back on those rate hikes? What else are you expecting? Well, I think we're going to see heightened volatility in the first quarter as investors continue to play tug of war between the bulls and the bears. But I think by the end of the year, investors will have begun to look across the valley and look toward brighter skies. And so our forecast is for a positive 2023. Our exact target is 4575 on the S&P 500, which is currently below the 3600 level. So uh, I believe that things will start to improve in the second half as we look to 2024 and also feel that the, uh, the worst is behind us. 
Well, look, I think that will be music to many investors' ears, that the worst is behind us and that you're expecting a positive 2023. So where then to find opportunities? Where are you shopping? What are you buying? Well, the interesting thing is that history tells us that when the bear market has ended, uh, when the worst is behind us, you want to go from worst to first, meaning that the worst performing sectors during the market decline or during a down year tend to be the outperformers in the subsequent year. So areas like te- uh, technology, consumer discretionary, real estate, and communication services as a group uh, might end up outperforming the market in 2023. I see. How important do you think fundamentals are going into 2023? Well, fundamentals are important, but I like to say that prices lead fundamentals. And while fundamentals tell you what, technicals or price movement tells you when and how far. Uh, So investors are anticipators. They're not going to wait for the fundamentals to prove them correct before they buy into stocks once again. They're really going to make assumptions and you watch the prices in order to see whether the fundamentals are expected to improve. Hmm. And then final question, what are your thoughts about a potential recession for 2023? Do you believe it will be mild? When do we start to see it appear Well, I believe that it will be mild, but I definitely believe one is on the way. Again, I I look to history. Anytime that CPI, Consumer Price Index, has been up by more than 6% year on year, we have fallen into a bear market and a recession. Anytime leading economic indicators are down year on year, we've fallen into recession. And I think the next three quarters are expected to show profit declines for the S&P 500, which equates to a, a profits recession. And again, And that ends up being fairly coincident. So it could end up being a relatively short and mild recession. And once that occurs, then I think investors uh, will be looking forward to uh, better returns. Short and mild, does that also mean a limited impact to unemployment? Um, Yes, because our belief is that while the unemployment rate is likely to rise above the 4% level, we think it's going to hit about 4.3%, so just marginally above that important 4% level. Uh, Mm. Of course, just our data is just like the Fed's. It's subject to revision. But right now, we believe that the recession could, could end up being fairly mild. I think that's interesting. And that's actually, if I remember correctly, that's a, a, a more encouraging forecast in the Fed because the Fed's prediction has unemployment going to, up to about 4.6 percent. So, uh, Sam Stovall, great to have you. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up on First Move, travel nightmare. How a massive winter storm is disrupting holiday travel across the U.S. Coming up next. Welcome back to First Move and the winter travel chaos. More than 3,400 flights have been canceled here in the U.S. So far today, that's as a powerful winter storm that we've been talking about slams much of the country during one of the busiest times of the year. Pete Montine is at Chicago's O'Hare Airport with the latest. This bad weather is really coming at a bad time for travelers who are trying to make this exodus on what was supposed to be one of the busiest pre-Christmas travel days. FlightAware says the number of cancellations in the U.S. has already dwarfed the number we saw yesterday, 2,600. 
in the U.S., according to FlightAware. That's going to have a nationwide and a worldwide ripple effect because the storm is really hitting some major hubs for the airlines. And now as it's moving east, there will be more and more cancellations at places that were not affected on Thursday. LaGuardia tops the list, as well as Detroit, which is a major hub for Delta Airlines. More than 40 percent of flights have been canceled there. Here at Chicago O'Hare, it's the biggest hub for United Airlines. United Airlines tells me that the big issue is not necessarily the snow, but really the biting cold. On Friday, the forecast high temperature here is one degree Fahrenheit. That's not taking into account the wind chill that makes it especially hard, United says, for ground crews to work, to marshal the plane, to load bags, to move the gate. It's going to be really tough for them. I want you to listen now to Joe Hines, United's VP of Network Operations, who says that will really drive delays. Winter operations like this, temperature, wind, snow, it's going to drive delays. We know the challenges. We have experience around the winter storms. There's only so much you can do. We'll, we'll operate. We'll operate slowly, but we will operate safely. The Federal Aviation Administration says it's now a ground game for airports about whether or not they can clear snow and ice off of planes quickly. One other factor to consider here is that Packages so often fly on planes. UPS, FedEx, and the United States Postal Service all tell us they have contingency plans in place, but some Christmas shipments may be delayed. Pete Muntean, CNN, Chicago. And so many travelers may need some tips from the points guy. The travel website says it now has about 10 million visitors a month, 12 years after it launched as a points and miles blog. Joining us now, the founder of the points guy, Brian Kelly. Brian, great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, look, a lot of our viewers are frequent flyers. If it is the Friday before Christmas, you weren't able to get out early, what do you do now? Well, first thing, just pack your patience. Uh, there are going to be delays. Even if you're in sunny Los Angeles, the chances are your flight's probably coming from somewhere impacted. So uh, I always recommend, you know, everyone traveling, go into your reservation right now. Even if you're traveling in a couple days, make sure you're your flight hasn't been changed, sign up for alerts from the airline, but also sign up on FlightAware, uh, which will actually update you if the flight's delayed or canceled, uh, generally before the airline does. And everything is about getting that information so you can rebook yourself before everyone else on your flight finds out the flight's canceled. So then what to do if it has been delayed or if it has been gasp canceled? I mean, what's the next best step? Because I would imagine time is of the essence at that point. Absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing you, everyone needs to know is that you, sh you can get your full refund if your flight's extremely delayed or canceled. So, you know, people should have the uh, backup plan. Do we just cancel the trip and go another time? Um, because it's, it's going to be a nasty travel weekend no matter what. So if you really need to get to where you're going, this is what I do. You know, for frequent travelers, if you're booked on a certain airline, you must get to where you're going. I always have a second reservation on another airline using my frequent flyer miles for later in the day. So if my original flight is canceled or delayed, I've got a backup reservation. If you wait until your flight's canceled, often all the other options will be sold out. So you've got to be really savvy. And if your flight does go out on time, you can always cancel your frequent flyer trip you know, for later in the day. I see. So go in with a plan. You have a plan A, you have a plan B, but you got to start off that way. Let's say your flight is canceled. I think the tendency, understandably, is to rely on the customer service reps to help reseat you. Is that the best option or is that the time to start to take things into your own hands? You've got to take it into your own hands. Don't just wait in that long line in the airport. So I recommend go into the airport 
airline lounge if you can. Sometimes you can pay or your credit card can get you in. Those lounge agents are generally the best at the airline and they can rebook you and you know they're really good. The general agents in the airport are overwhelmed and they're just going to look at the next nonstop flight to your destination. Uh, you can take things into your own hands, see if you can connect through a different airport to get to where you're going. Um, but you shouldn't just rely on the agent to think creatively for you. And if at the worst case, that airline can't get you there, you know, rebook yourself on another airline. Mm. How important do you think social media is? I mean, I feel like every time I open my social media, someone is complaining and tagging the company on social media. Is that actually impactful? Does that work? A hundred percent. You know, I don't recommend the the huge rants, but be, be uh, precise to the point, DM the airline. A lot of them have customer service teams that if you tell them exactly what you need, they can. So when you're in the line for to get rebooked, DM the airline as well. Also, a lot of airlines now have chat bots uh, where you can chat in the app. And also, if you ever lose your bag, you know, and you're not getting any help from the airline, go on LinkedIn. The customer service managers, the baggage managers for the airline Send them a message on LinkedIn. You'd be shocked at how quickly they can message the people at the airport to find your bag. LinkedIn, apparently not just for finding a new job, but also for helping to find your lost baggage. Brian Kelly, great to have you. Thank you. He is the founder of The Points Guy. All right, check this out. CNN affiliate KWWL sent their sports reporter to cover the winter storm. And he did have a memorable, but not necessarily fun time outdoors. Take a look. Mark, how are you feeling out there? Uh, again, uh, the same way I felt about eight minutes ago when you asked me that same question, right? I normally do sports. Uh, everything is canceled here for the next couple of days. So what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours normally uh, earlier than he would normally wake up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold and tell other people not to do the same. It's absolutely uh, fantastic, Ryan. You know, I I'm used to these evening shows that are only 30 minutes long and generally on those shows I'm inside so uh, this is a really long show tune in for the next couple hours to watch me progressively get crankier and crankier. Can I go back to my regular job? I I'm pretty sure Ryan that you guys added an extra hour to this show just because somebody likes torturing me because compared to two and a half hours ago it is just getting colder and colder. Live in Waterloo for the last time this morning, thankfully, I'm Mark Woodley, News 7, KWWL. He's just saying what every reporter who has stood out in the snow, including this gal, is thinking. Somebody get that man a raise or at least a hot cocoa. I don't know. Good stuff. Coming up on First Move, the young athletes who are using their agility to save energy will take you to Paris. Coming up next. Welcome back. And it's not just Superman who can leap tall buildings in a single bound. Parkour athletes in Paris climb walls and jump over staircases, all to keep businesses from wasting energy. The goal is to save electricity across the city of light during an unprecedented energy crisis. Saskia Van Dorn reports. Once a month, Kevin Haar and his friends take small steps to save energy in France through the unusual sport of parkour. By day, you'll find them jumping, running, climbing and somersaulting over obstacles across Paris. So that by night, using the wall run technique, they turn off outdoor lights that have been left on. Seeing those lights turned on all the night is uh, such an absurdity in a world with uh, limited resources. 
So the best way to uh, save energy is actually to consume less. The Lights Off movement started about two years ago, went viral and has been spreading beyond Paris to cities including Marseille, Rennes, Dijon and Tours. Uh, rien de mon côté. The group can get through 60 lights a night. They say they are just enforcing a long-forgotten law that stores should turn off window displays between 1 and 6 a.m. or face a fine of up to $1,600. But the real question is what we can leave for the next generations. We can just send a larger message and tell them to be careful. We need everyone to take part of the movement in order to have a real impact. Their actions have also caught the public's imagination because of Europe's energy crisis, with the French government asking households and businesses to make real changes this winter. Don't be afraid of the times we live in. They are tough. I don't know what will happen in the next few weeks, so we have to be prepared for anything. But we are a strong nation and we are here. But it is in this moment that the most daring win. Across Europe, Christmas lights will be dimmed this year to send a message of energy conservation and solidarity with the people already feeling the pinch of high utility bills and inflation. When people think of Christmas lights in Paris, they picture the Champs-Élysées. But this year, in a bid to save electricity, the lights wrapped around these 400 trees will be switched off two hours early. Our goal is to reduce energy consumption by 10% this winter, and we're going to take several measures to achieve that. We are going to lower the temperature in our schools, our municipal facilities, our gymnasiums and our colleges by one degree. We will also lower the temperature in our municipal swimming pools. Despite these energy-saving measures, the threat of blackouts loom, as does the prospect that even the city of light may have to go dark. Saskia van Dorn, CNN, Paris. And finally, you better watch out because in case you haven't heard, Santa Claus is coming to town. It is the busiest time of the year for Father Christmas. And while the U.S. is experiencing severe blizzards, not to worry, Santa apparently remains on track thanks to his amazing reindeer who are equipped for practically all conditions. If you don't believe us, you can track Santa's journey using NORAD's Santa Tracker. It's not online yet. Instead, for now, you'll have to do with this picture of the man himself getting ready for a very busy weekend. And that is it for the show. I'm Rahel Solomon. Thanks for joining us. Wherever you are, have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Connect the World is next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.